What's that? <laughs> hey, welcome to Book Squad Goals. Before we begin, today's a very special day for one of our mm. squad members. Emily, do you want to talk about what kind of a day it is uh. for Mary? Well, I feel like it's the surprise has been ruined now. Mary, I have a poem I want to read for you. Okay, oh, no. I didn't. I was joking. Yes. <laughs> if, if, if you know this poem, feel free to read it along with okay. me. Okay. <clears throat> All right. And so we talked all night about the rest of our lives, where we're going to be when we turn 25. I keep thinking times will never change. Keep thinking things will always be the same. But when we leave this year, we won't be coming back. No more hanging out because we're on a different track. And if you got something that you need to say, you better say it right now because you don't have another day. Because we're moving on and we can't slow down. These memories are playing like a film without sound. And I keep thinking of that night in June. I didn't know much of love, but it came too soon. And there was me and you, and then we got real cool, stay at home talking on the telephone with me. We'd get so excited, we'd get so scared, laughing at ourselves, thinking life's not fair. And this is how it feels as we go on, we remember all the, all the times, times we, we had together. Had together. Had together. <laughs> and as our as lives, lives change, change <laughs> come whatever, we will, we will, we will still, still be, be friends, friends forever. forever. Um, it goes on from there, but I think you get the idea. I can't believe yes. how long it took to get to the chorus. My God. <laughs> Me either. I kept thinking, is this well, what I think it is? Emily said in the chat, like, I have a special poem I want to read for Mary. And I was like, is it graduation by vitamin C? LOL. And it was. And I was like, oh, damn it. Yes, it is. Unfortunately, yes, it is. I know Emily Gra- said Happy graduation day, Mary. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, today, the day of this recording is the day (laughs) we were supposed to have graduation. Obviously, we are not having graduation anymore. (laughs) There is a pandemic, um, but I do have my PhD now. This is officially a podcast of three doctors and a Kelly. Yep. Who is also very smart. <laughs> but just a regular person. PhD Kelly, Kelly in doesn't hearts. need a PhD to feel validated in her intelligence. <laughs> the rest of us have self-esteem issues. I was going to no, say, what, yeah. If you think it would validate anything, it doesn't. The real, <laughs> the real thing is Kelly hates school. That's why Kelly didn't decide to um, pursue anything further. I would not recommend anyone get a PhD. <laughs> Yeah. Having done earlier, it, wouldn't recommend. Earlier today, I did ask Todd three times in a row what he wanted to for dinner, and he did answer me every time, but I couldn't remember <laughs> that I had just asked it, so um, I'm human, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <sighs> Happy graduation, Mary. Um, and yes, how appropriate that we are discussing a college oh, boy. story. Um, we are talking about Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Before we get started, a warning, two warnings. First warning, we're going to spoil it. So don't listen if you haven't read it yet. 
second warning is the content warning, because there are a lot of things in this book that you might find upsetting to hear about or read about or listen to us talk about, uh, including, but not limited to, violent sexual assault, rape, and drug use. So heads up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Consider yourself Those content warned. Consider yourself CW'd. So if you would like to fast forward to the next part of this episode where I interview Veronica Roth about her new book, um, Chosen Ones. I had to check because I always want to put the in front of me it, too. it's just Chosen Ones. Um, you know, it, that's another book by an, an author who traditionally writes YA, but this is an adult novel, so we thought that this paired well with our Ninth House discussion. But if you don't want to hear about Ninth House, just fast forward. We'll put the little timestamp in mm-hmm. the show notes, and we'll we'll catch you then. Everyone else, stick around. Tight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Sick. Intro question. <laughs> now that all the badasses are still here, <laughs> let's go. All right. So this book revolves around secret societies at Yale with names such as Skull and Bones, Book and Snake, Scroll and Key, and Wolf's Head, among others. What would the name of your secret society be? I'm so ready to answer this. Go, Mary. This yes, this is Mary. Uh, my secret society would be named Cat mm. and Cauldron. Mm. I'm gonna go with the and, and we would be all women, no boys allowed, and we would do traditional witch things. I love that. That's all. Traditional witch things. Such as yeah, I don't I don't know what that means necessarily maybe like herb stuff to me that means flying on a broomstick so mm-hmm. that's what I assume you're doing yeah that's true because you're a cartoon witch in but, my but head. also like our house would just be crawling in cats like we would have so many cats but those cats are like the spirits of dead celebrities or <laughs> yes. something that'd be great yes be like this is Amy Winehouse <laughs> the cat oh my god. Can you imagine? I can. A little cat singing with her meows. Oh, oh God. Um, does anyone else know theirs? No. I. You know what? I really appreciated... This is Emily. I really appreciated the simplicity of manuscript. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'd like something like that that's kind of just like a normal-ass word. Um, so maybe like... Library? <laughs> yeah. Might get and then might it could get be confusing secret too. Be super secret. Be confused. <laughs> I just, but I'd be like, I'm gonna go to the library, and they'd be like, "You mean the library?" And I'd be like, "No, <laughs> no." You'd be like, "Yeah," and then you'd wink at him. Isn't isn't there a bar in Athens called the library? I think there's a bar in every town called the library. Maybe. There, <laughs> yeah, there was one. There was one like on the campus of my where I went for my master's program and I checked in there one time and my mom saw it on Facebook and she was like, why are you studying so late or something? And I was like, mom, uh, it's a bar. There's a great, <laughs> she's um, like, actually, Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to actually change my answer to bookmark. Cause that's a little bit that's more cute. mundane. There's a great bar yeah, in the East village called the library. Also, it's a punk bar. Uh, so it's like extra funny because you go in and they have this like jukebox that has all like, 
punk songs on it and it's full of like crusties and it's called the library (laughs) (laughs) that checks out i went on a date there one time how'd it go uh (laughs) well and then badly as the night wore on oh no anyway (laughs) um god i like there's a siren in the background so i'm gonna wait until that's gone. Mm-hmm. That's why you're waiting. I'm just stalling mm-hmm. for as long as possible. Then she's like, oh, I mean, I was going to say siren and sound. Ooh, good. Oh, nice. Because it's like siren like mermaid. <laughs> that's a good one. Siren sound would actually be pretty good. Yeah. Um, or even just yeah, siren. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and, and take that. It was a sign. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my society is called siren sirens yeah sirens and we're a musical society we sing i didn't know we had to say what we did in the society that wasn't like part of the question i'm not we did we didn't okay well i'm not gonna answer that because that was not part of the assignment i just really thought about it by the way this (laughs) this was kelly mary was first then was i said my name i I think oh okay (laughs) (laughs) i I think more I was when I was thinking about what we would do, I was reacting strongly to the fact that all the secret societies were originally just like exclusively men and that mm. uh, some of them didn't accept women until like the 90s. So I'm like, let's make an all women secret society. Um, I guess it's my turn. Yes. I'm Susan and um I am also improvising this, despite the fact that I wrote the question earlier today and had plenty of time to think about it. Um, I like the uh, the and structure, and I wanted one of those things to be like a weapon, sort of. And I also had this glass sitting right next to me, so I thought glass and goblet. Mm. Mm. What do they do? I don't know. It sounds like mostly drinking, but... <laughs> you know. So I'm going to say potions, because mm. like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But also we can build a shank out of glass. There you go. I'm kind of proud of that on the fly. Okay. Much yeah, better than mine. I support it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into Ninth House. As is our custom, I will read the Goodreads summary now. Galaxy... Alex Stern is the most unlikely member of Yale's freshman class. Raised in the Los Angeles hinterlands by a hippie mom, Alex dropped out of school early and into a world of shady drug dealer boyfriends, dead-end jobs, and much, much worse. By age 20, in fact, she is the sole survivor of a horrific unsolved multiple homicide. Some say she's thrown her life away. But at her hospital bed, Alex is offered a second chance to attend one of the world's most elite universities on a full ride. What's the catch, and why her? Still searching for answers to this herself, Alex arrives in New Haven, tasked by her mysterious benefactors with monitoring the activities of Yale's secret societies. These eight windowless tombs are well known to be haunts of the future rich and powerful, from high-ranking politicos to Wall Street and Hollywood's biggest players. But their occult activities are revealed to be more sinister and more extraordinary than any paranoid imagination might conceive. Mm. I would say that this summary is inaccurate because she does know why it was her. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. I guess that's she like trying to make you not know if you were reading this and haven't read the book yet. But it's like pretty clear from the beginning why she 
has been offered this. <laughs> like, are you? Are they trying to make it a surprise that she sees that she sees dead people? Dead people. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to avoid saying that. No, we're <laughs> like, saying that. It's pretty clear from the beginning, but I guess. Yeah. They don't just, like, come right out and say, she can see ghosts, and that's weird, you know? It's just, like, you kind of get into that. <laughs> but, like, it's not like a... it's If someone told me, like, before I started reading this, like, oh, the main character can see ghosts, I wouldn't be like, oh, my gosh, spoiler. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's in the first chapter. <laughs> uh. Already disagreeing with... <laughs> so. Yeah, so it, Alex can see ghosts. <laughs> And she's a part of Leafy House. I looked up how to say that because I did not know. Well, I listened to it, so it was Leafy the whole time. Yeah, it's definitely Leafy. Um, I like Wikipedia that and then listened to it out loud. <laughs> you should have. Um, but anyway, just asked this me. this house is is the ninth house, and their job is to kind of keep these other eight societies in check because all of them are doing some kind of magic, usually involving, like, crossing the barrier between the living world and the dead world somehow. So, and Lethe is the house that keeps them in check. Alex was chosen because she can see ghosts without the help of any elixir, which is normally what regular people have to do to see ghosts. Losers. (laughs) Um, so that's the gist of that, um, which is why I want to talk about genre, everyone's favorite topic. It's, look, it's my favorite. Mary's favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So this novel blends fantasy and magic with also some mystery. So I want to talk about the magic and the rituals and how this book works as a fantasy. And then I also want to talk about how it works as a mystery. So let's start with magical stuff and go from there. I There was a time period when I was like much better versed in the different types of fantasy. I mean, is this... Like, I want to say this is low fantasy, but it's not. Because isn't it low fantasy when like, like Game of Thrones, like there's a medieval-ish world with stuff that's weird, but also there's not really magic? No, I would say Game of Thrones is high fantasy. Yeah. The first book, maybe, is not, though. I mean, what would we consider Harry Potter? Because I think this is more in line with that. You know, like, there's a normal world everyone knows about, and then there's sort of a magic world going on just behind the scenes. Well, yeah, it's, like, set in our world, assuming that magic exists in our world. It's, I mean, it's kind of like that sort of fantasy along the lines of something like Harry Potter or the Magicians. Oh, I hate the Magicians. Except, I know. (laughs) I (laughs) I haven't read it. Every single person I've ever recommended the Magicians to has hated it. Like, not even just a, oh, Stop it was recommending okay, it. Yeah. but, like, I really so hated this. I hate it so much. Well, I'm just, like, I already read Harry Potter. Right. Like, I don't need this. Right. I don't need this. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, but it, it, this is kind of, like, one of those books where there is magic, but it's sort of, like, a separate 
layer over our world. So it doesn't feel like high fantasy where there's like elves and orcs and stuff. Um, but it is sort of like weaving in those fantasy elements of magic. I'm talking myself into this question. I'm not saying anything substantive. That's um, fine. I don't know the difference between types of fantasy. So, but this yeah, is like marketed either. as fantasy, which is why I brought it up. Mm. I I like this type of fantasy because it does feel as someone who hasn't read a ton of fantasy and hasn't read a ton of like high fantasy, which I guess is like super like cray fantasy where there's like a whole different rings. world and yeah. This is more like accessible to me because it does start in like a world that is familiar to me and it also kind of it brings you closer to the characters when they see things and they're like whoa that's crazy which is the same way that i would react to that you know yeah like there's this one part towards the beginning of the book where it's talking uh it's like from darlington's perspective and he's talking about like alex seeing magic for the first time not like seeing dead people for the first time but seeing magic itself and how, like, exciting that is mm-hmm. of a moment for anyone to, like, realize that this thing that you've dreamt about your whole life is actually real. And that is, like, something that I really enjoy um, yeah. when I'm reading something that has fantasy elements. And I also appreciate that, like, there seem to be pretty well-defined rules to this world. Like, th- you know, there's, like, a wi- a th- like, procedure that you have to perform to, like, access certain things. And um, it doesn't really go outside of the rules too often. And when it does, it's like, this is a big deal that this thing happened. This isn't supposed to happen. This never happens. And it, like, really bothers me when a a book or a story doesn't, like, define its rules and follow them. So I, I appreciated that about this, too. I agree. And I think uh, it all made sense to me. Like, that highly ritualistic, rule-defined system of magic and ghosts and all that makes sense within the confines of this highly ritualistic, old college, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that made sense to me. It made sense that all of these super old secretive societies would also have equally like inane dumb things they have to do in rituals like wear a robe or I don't know like stuff like that and also and I don't want to get in too much to the mystery part if you don't want to yet but like it made sense that this novel ultimately turns into a mystery the mystery because the um, world felt like a mystery. The mystery elements at time kind in. of th- felt sort of like noir detective. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that that was kind of an interesting um, mix mm-hmm. because I don't know, like the whole like her talking with the cop and like yes. mm-hmm. you know tricking the cop into like giving her information. I keep saying the cop. I can't remember his name. Turner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Detective, detective You know, it's Turner. like when you're listening to... Sexy Detective Turner. When you're listening to audiobooks, <laughs> I feel like you're, sometimes you don't catch names the way you would when you're reading. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, main characters like Darlington and Alex, like, I got it. But, you know, other... Like, right. Turner. I'm like, you know, the cop. But anyway... Yeah. 
I think <laughs> I think the whole like trying to trick him and sort of like you know like uh, trying to like solve this crime like um, like while well, maybe like the law is not like on your side to help you out like felt yeah. very like noir detective like a lot of creeping around in places she wasn't supposed yeah, to be so like, like she's putting herself in danger <laughs> that type of yeah thing. Um. i have decided detective turner was really hot Oh, he absolutely was hot. <laughs> All she every time she described him, she was like, "He looks good in his outfit." <laughs> <laughs> so, like thinking about Alex sneaking around with this hot detective, and the whole like, you know, they didn't like each other, and they were at odds, but then they were kind of working together and teaming up. I'm like, please sleep together in another book. I feel like book. it definitely is gearing up for them to have a romance. Like there's definitely that vibe between them, um, but but I appreciate that it serious. didn't happen yet. Yeah, you got a slow burn. Yeah, slow burn. Also, like, when mind. would she have had time no, to get romantic busy. with anyone? This too woman busy, was yeah. walking around with broken bones for like ninety five percent of the book. So. Also, she just like is not interested in <laughs> sex at all with well, anyone. I was going to say like it, the most sexual thing to me was when she lets the ghost inside of her. That was, yes. I was yeah. like, this mm-hmm. has a sexy vibe, because she's like, I mean, For sure. I, I know that that's not, like, the purpose of it, but, like, it had undertones, where when she's like, it's do you want to come back inside? I'm like, what? Yeah. It's a little <laughs> sexy. Also, there's, like, sexiness with Darlington, too. Like, she has a lot of relationships with these, like, different male there's characters that feel a little sexy. sexual assaults with Darlington a little bit. Yeah. Which I, I was not a little bit cool, but anyway... Not cool about that, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of As I chuck my here. white claw. We'll get to it. <laughs> you never told me what flavor it I is. I said it was mango. You just weren't listening to me. Oh, I didn't hear you. Uh, I just tried the watermelon one the other day. I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Side note. Okay. Watermelon white claw, a good companion to this book if you're a reader who drinks. <laughs> Not the <laughs> first drink I would think of to, <laughs> to pair with this book <laughs> i would think college-y. like some artisanal cocktail you know a, a magic person. are they drinking watermelon white claws at the yellow party listen this is an official is glass and goblet so. recommendation okay i'm a hundred percent sure they would drink white claws <laughs> at a yell party because they'd probably be like we're being so ironic oh yeah you're <laughs> this right this is what poor you're people right. drink <laughs> They probably have like a like a trashy themed party. <laughs> <laughs> we drink them in our household, very unironically. Oh yeah, we have some in the fridge right now. So, well, if I drink, I would get down on a white claw. <laughs> yeah, you would. I I could see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. it's, it's like Lacroix. Yeah, it's the Lacroix but better because so. it has alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. The problem is that it tastes like just it tastes like seltzer. Yeah. Doesn't taste like alcohol, and then all of a sudden you're like, I've had five, <laughs> and it's like malt liquor, and it's just like, oh, it always makes me feel like shit too the next yeah. day if I drink too many of them, but it's fine. I 100% would accidentally drink a ton of them and then be like, I'm drunk, I'm baby, yeah, yeah, and Take it also, care of you'll, me. it's also like, oh, we're at a barbecue and it's like hot outside, and I think I'm hydrating by drinking these, no, no. <laughs> 
This has been White Claw Corner. Well, I'm still going to drink mine, even though y'all are trash talking my White Claw. Whatever. Nah, I'm not. I'm not. Trash I've done nothing it. but praise them. Uh, yeah, it's just funny. It's just a, a humorous beverage it says, to me. Spiked sparkling water with a hint of mango. It says it's got water in it, so hydration. <laughs> All right, now it's been White Claw Corner. Okay. We'll we'll circle back later. Let us know if you have any comments or questions about White Claw, and we will answer them on the next episode. (laughs) Yes, that's why we're here. Um, Okay, so let's get into the societies and how they function. There are real secret societies at Yale. Um, Their real names of those societies are used in this book, um, and that, as far as we know, they are not doing any magic. Uh, Lee Bardugo went to Yale and was in Wolf's Head, uh, which is the one in this book that is only talked about a little bit, but they are shapeshifters. So I really hope she's a shapeshifter. Um, <laughs> but why do you think Bardugo writes the houses this way? So I have a question because I did not look up anything about the houses after I read this. But so like the celebrities that they mentioned being in certain houses, were those celeb- are those celebrities really in those or really from those houses? Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yes, they really are. Because I knew that about the Bushes, for example. Yeah. Oh. I, my favorite was Anderson Cooper yes. and how they had to, like, put so many glamours on him. Because he's, like, really short and ugly in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and has, like, a weird accent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe that was, like, why I kind of, like, besides the just, like, super mundane name, I think that's why Manuscript, like, appealed to me so much. It was, like, I think the glamour thing is, like, really interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I mean, I wonder what, and I maybe there this is out there, but, like, I wonder what Lee Bardugo's experience in Yale was like, and especially in a secret society. Like, I wonder why she wanted to be part of one, what that process was like, and then what her experience in it was. Because if it wasn't a completely positive experience, it makes sense why she would be like, oh, this is like, here's some crappy stuff that they do. But I mean, also, I think just like, the setup of having a secret, a system of secret societies is a compelling plot device. Regardless of her feelings on the actual secret societies, I guess, there's something compelling about a secret society because it is secret. And it makes sense to have that as a as a story. I mean, we we not only get, like, the secrecy and the magic of the societies, but we also get, like, this prestigious, privileged setting of Yale and New Haven. So, I mean, I, like, I thought her choice to, like, contrast Alex's upbringing and her past with, like, this very landed, wealthy population of New Haven. Yeah. I definitely feel like the main the main benefit of, of talking about this is so that it can kind of, like, weave in this economic, like, and that this is, like, your next 
discussion point, but like the, oh, the class privilege and stuff. No, like that that's is, great. Let's just we can just go right into it now. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I let's found, go ahead and talk about privilege. So I fa- I don't know if we want to talk about this a little bit, but um, I found an interview with Lee Bardugo where she talks about the secret society stuff a little bit. Um, and we can link to it. Um, <laughs> she doesn't give away a lot of information, but, um, okay. So she said she's in a secret society. So then the interviewer asked if she's allowed to talk about it. And she said, I mean, I'm pretty sure that a special ops team won't descend from above. Yeah. I was in Wolfhead, Wolfhead, one of the ancient eight, but I'm not a shapeshifter as far as you know. <laughs> so there what? you go. As it. far as you yes. know. This is nonfiction. This book is not yeah. this is a documentary. Um so, so okay. yeah. Sorry. Just a little No no, you're fine. That's the same interview that I that I pulled this next part from. Oh, excellent. Um, Let's talk which I'm gonna about read that. this quote from her. So the no no, I'm gonna read the quote from her so we can talk about uh privilege yes. and class and all that shit. Okay, um, so in that interview, she was talking about how she has, she still has a really, she still feels really connected to Yale and like her time there and looks on it really affectionately. But when someone asked her if she was going to go to this reunion, she was like, oh, I didn't even know what was happening. So that's what the context of this is. So her friend starts to send her some photos of them from college. And then he started sending me photos of all of us hanging out and partying. And instead of having this warm, nostalgic feeling, I felt my gut clench because I had really forgotten what it was like to be in that culture, this very white, very straight, very wealthy culture. And I had forgotten the way that I talked about myself, the way that me and my friends talked about other women, the kind of slut-shaming we engaged in, the way we pruned ourselves down in order to belong to this culture, and just to be in on the joke, right? And I look back on the girl who I was, and it is, with a lot of embarrassment and sadness over the things that she put up with because she didn't even have language for what was happening to her. So depressing. I know. Um, yeah, and so you kind of, do you want to talk about the way that you framed your discussion point before we start responding to it? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Yale in itself is obviously, like, thought of as an elite place, but then we're we're like inside the world of the elite of the elite. So these secret societies are known for wealthy, famous members. Um, we already talked about the celebrity alumni and who are presidents and people you've heard of. Um, Alex, on the other hand, uh, as Mary mentioned, is really an outsider here. Um, she has had a past full of drug use. She was involved in a murder, which we can get to that little, <laughs> to that, that's a whole separate thing we had to talk about <laughs> still. Yeah. Um, but this is very much not her world. So let's just talk about the way that, that this plays out for Alex and for the other people involved. Well, so like, this was something that, that I really liked about this book was the way that it sort of engaged with the idea of, there being no consequences for mm-hmm. people of privilege and how all of this stuff happens and all of these terrible things and the people who are responsible are found out and they don't have to pay for it at all. 
unless Alex takes it, takes matters into her own hands and, like, physically makes someone pay for what they have done. Um, because otherwise, it's just going to get brushed under the rug. And the fact that Lethe is this, soci- this like, house that is supposed to be keeping everyone else in check and is supposed to be enforcing rules, but then, like, the further mm-hmm. along she gets, she realizes that it's really just there to make sure that the power and the access to this magic stays in the hands of the people in these societies, the people who have this privilege and is not extended to people outside of it. And that is something really interesting because unlike a lot of other, like something like Harry Potter where it's like you are born into magic, like, and or you are a magical person, whether or not, like, you are rich or whatever. In this book, it's like magic like Alex is born into it because she can see dead people, but most of the people who are in these societies don't have magical powers. They just have access to the information. Um, and so magic is this thing that could be accessible to everyone, but is only accessible to people who can afford it, basically. And it really is just like a a really interesting, like, I guess, metaphor for, you know, the world and society and how... <laughs> and then that access to magic begets more wealth. Yeah, exactly. Like, keeps these people in in power. The rich stay rich mm-hmm. and get richer. Yep. Yeah, there's a... Like, when... At, toward the end, when Alex is at the president's house and looking for um, the dean, she... There's, like, the, a long thought of hers where she is talking about or not talking about thinking about like what is even the point of this because nothing is going to happen to the people that did anything Mm -hmm. um and she she basically made the comparison that like the people who were involved in what happened to tara aren't any different really than the people who did what they did to her and her friend heli um and that the world will either like forgive them or embrace them or totally ignore it. But the one thing they'll never do is punish any of them. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's pretty much how it is. <laughs> like, yeah. Now today everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> if you're rich and white, of course. Right. <laughs> but not otherwise. Right. <sighs> well, that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just feeling it extra right now with, you know, pandemics and shit. It seems like everything I read or watch has, like, mm-hmm. significance in a different way when all of this is happening. Which mm-hmm. I guess is true of any, like, any significant event that happens in your life will affect the way that you consume <laughs> things. Um, but it's such a, it's such a global issue that is happening right now that it's like impossible to not be applying it to every single thing yeah and some things resonate like really uh deeply like this did i i was talking to emily about this but justine and i watched jaws last weekend um wildly uh timely film (laughs) <laughs> yes timely and timeless 
Exactly. Any more on this? Or shall we move on? I just, like, what I appreciated the most about it, I think, is is the idea that, like, no one except for a very few people in this world are born with, like, inherently born with abilities, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because that is the exact kind of thing that leads to people taking advantage, you know? Yeah. Is there something to explore with um, Darlington and his background versus um, Alex and sort of how they both kind of have different privilege if we look at the fact that, like, he was sort of, like, born into this, has all the money, is, like, whatever... Um, sort of your more traditional like Yale student, but like she was born with this like yeah. I guess it's not really a privilege to be able to see ghosts because they kind of like terrorize her a lot. But it's like a gift, <laughs> I guess. Does it's yeah. not necessarily a positive gift, but yeah. I don't know. I I don't even know what I'm trying to say about it, but I definitely think that Lee Bardugo is trying to point out something about class by having these two characters. Um, be like our two central I I don't know I guess Darlington isn't a protagonist but we do see half the book from his perspective so I mean he is he has privilege you know and his family has a lot of money through his grandfather and Darlington does have this like big epic house that's really cool but also like he's kind of abandoned as a teenager and just lives by himself in this house without electricity well yeah he's kind of like a a version of he's not like new rich he's like old rich but it's like a fading kind of old rich that like there wasn't enough to sustain him like but he has like that same kind of privilege that a lot of these secret societies have because he himself is kind of like a landed rich like, he has like the status of the land and the status of the house, but he doesn't actually have, like, that inherent right. wealth. And he grew up knowing he would end up going to a school like Yale, yes. whereas, like, Alex was like, how the fuck did I get here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and yet, like you're saying, she has not necessarily a privilege. 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 <laughs> yeah. Privilege. But this gift. Uh, yeah. And he's, he repeatedly, like, it's mentioned that he's jealous of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. she has this, like, automatic access to this thing that he had, like, in order for him to be able to see Grays, he had to drink this potion that basically almost kills you. Uh, just to give you the thing that she has just, like, all the time. Um, I do think that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know what exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like, how to... Gotta think about that one some more. Yeah, I mean, I didn't... You know, I pointed it out, but I don't know that I really um, knew what to say about it. I just wanted to be like, I feel like there's something there. Yeah. You yeah. know? <laughs> well, I think it does... I, I think it adds more nuance to just this dynamic because you can easily be like you know rich versus poor Mm -hmm. like class versus lower class and like i think that it is important to point out that like like there are things that 
you know, make this whole issue that much more complicated. Um, whether it's like mm. in real life or in this fantasy world, like yeah. if it was that straightforward, it would be not as prevalent, I think, because yeah. it would be easier, like, yeah. to dismiss it, if that makes sense. It does. Privilege is complicated because there are all sorts of different ways to be privileged and disadvantaged. Speaking of Alex's gift, uh, it is kind of the thing that, or not kind of, it is the thing that leads to a lot of the trauma that Alex experiences before she's at Yale. So Alex can see ghosts. She has been able to since she was a kid. And when she was a kid, a gray, which is what they call ghosts in this book, rapes her. Um, she, of course, like, well, A, is a kid and B, was a ghost. So she, like, doesn't know that this counts as rape. And she has a really hard time dealing with it and talking about it. Because who's going to believe you if you say that a ghost rape you? People didn't even believe you when you say that people mm-hmm. rape you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, this is why she turns to drugs to kind of numb the pain from this. And it helps her, you know, not really notice the, the ghost as much. So, Yeah. Um, which I also kind of, I appreciated this, um, depiction of addiction with an, an acknowledgement that something happened to mm-hmm. her and that the addiction is a symptom of this other thing and not that, you know, she's like a bad person yeah. for doing this anyway. <clears throat> so then she just suffers more abuse, um, at the hands of her, I guess, boyfriend and his friends, um, her friend dies um i want to talk about that more in a second um at yale she has a roommate who is drugged and sexually assaulted uh alex is beaten up like several Mm -hmm. times really violently and then there's a woman who's murdered at the center of this whole thing so let's (laughs) what is going on with all the violence particularly against women um it's really interesting because um so, on Book Riot, this actually came up today on our Slack channel that um, somebody was asking about the violence in this book and how bad it was. And, like, somebody was like, it was so violent, like, I don't even, I'm not normally bothered by violence and this turned my stomach. And I was like, really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I didn't think it was that like it I wasn't that bad. Like, like it was. There's, there's violence, but I never felt like I was like this is way. It never felt gratuitous. Yeah, like, yeah, I would agree with that. I think I just it, mean that there's a lot of instances of it. Not oh, yeah, that it yeah. was like no, I just, a lot. I was just checking with you guys because like I, if someone asked me like, oh, was this book like really gory and violent? I'd be like, nah. I mean, maybe if you, like, and this is hard to say because I don't read that much fantasy, but, like, from the fantasy that I've read, I would say that this had a lot more, like, real world, like, sexual assault and and real world violence than in other fantasy that I've read, but I also read a lot more, like, 
non-fantasy books where there's yeah. so much worse than what happens in this right. book that like yeah. to me like maybe that's just like being desensitized I mean to it depends it, but... on who you're reading right like yeah. if you're reading J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis that's not going to be in there because they were right. uh, capital G good boys Right, but, but you maybe know, you got you got Game of Thrones. Well, get ready, yeah. buckle up. I mean, up. maybe you're <laughs> right. Maybe you're reading this from a perspective of a person who is used to re- like. Maybe this is like a fan of of like YA Lee Bardugo who is like shocked by. I, I mean, I don't know. To me, it it's not pleasant. No, certainly. but it has a point. And when I say that. Yeah, and when I say that it's not that bad, I don't mean that, like, what happens isn't bad. Of course it's bad. Yes. What I mean is that, like, yes, it doesn't feel gratuitous, and it uh, it, it does feel like every instance has a, a purpose. I didn't feel and like I, I was do... watching Hostel. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I think also, like, and we said this, and we've said this many times, like, it's realistic. Like, I... I know multiple people in my life who are close friends of mine who have been raped. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not unreasonable to think that this would happen to multiple people within one novel. Um, Unfortunately, but... Yeah, unfortunately. And, like, yeah, I wish that that wasn't a thing, but it is. And, like, I, I do kind of... Like, I always appreciate when, like, a, a writer is willing to, like, be bold about that and present it in a way that's just, like, this is what happened and, yeah. like, that's what she's doing here. And, like, I didn't have a problem with it at all. I definitely didn't think, like, oh, I can't read this. It's just too violent. I, like, there were parts... It's not graphic. ...where I thought, ooh, like, this sounds bad like even at the very beginning when alex is attending the ritual where they are cutting open a man's organs and like digging around and trying to predict the future i was like ew i don't like it yeah but i wasn't like how dare this be included in the novel it's disgusting you know yeah yeah, I I mean I don't know, and I mean, and all of the sexual assault, all of the violence towards Alex was really descriptive. I guess like lots of descriptions of bones crunching and breaking, mm-hmm. and like, but it did always feel like there was a purpose, and like it was going to serve some larger point in the plot, or like character growth, or explaining something. Like it never felt. Like, it was too much, or it was just there to shock, I guess. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I feel like it's just more of a an indication that she's, like, she's literally having to fight mm-hmm. for anything to, like, happen at any point in her life. Like, not just, you know, fighting the system or the immediate person who's harming her, but, like, she is also physically having to, like fight her way through this thing like at the detriment of her own mm-hmm. body. Thank God there's magic though because oh, yeah. that helps her Saves out her a lot. <laughs> when she definitely shouldn't be able to walk. At least someone can fix her. It's about the violence against women 
Like, I, I can't help but think of this secret society system being very sexist, especially knowing that Wolf's Head, the very one that Lee Bardugo belonged to, didn't allow women into their society until 1992. Like, there is sort of a male privilege in this super elite Ivy School world. Well, just in academia in yes. general, there is. For sure. And I mean, yeah. I think that that is something that is just sort of inherent in this world that comes through a little bit. But, I mean, again, it's not, like, too too much. I don't know. But I, I definitely well, think there's, like, some kind of comment there on how men just kind of get away with more. Well, and they also underestimate women. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, like, particularly what makes the scenes where Alex basically becomes, like, possessed by a, by a gray, whether it's Heli or North or whoever, mm-hmm. who, like, suddenly she becomes this, like, all-powerful person and someone fucks with her and she's like, guess what? Like, <laughs> I'm not... Like, you think that I look small and powerless and you think that because I'm a woman you're going to get away with it, but you're not. Like, I'm going to kill you now. (laughs) I I mean, I guess I'm also just thinking that whole plot line with Blake and how he is this, like, just rando frat dude is, like, using magic to sexually assault women, videotape it. And then ruin them. Yeah. He's, like, a minor character, but also, like, the worst person in the worst. And, like, (laughs) I just just think, like, I don't think a woman would get away with this. No. But because he's a shitty dude, people are like, oh, shitty dude. Yeah. Well, he's a beautiful dude. He's a beautiful shitty dude. Yeah. That gets you even more points. And he's like, you made me eat poop and ruin my life. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, he's, like, literally a shitty dude because he ate He's literally (laughs) shitty. Um, On the topic of violence, um, we had a listener question sent to us on Instagram that I wanted to address. But, okay, so in Alex's uh, previous life to Yale, um, she's she's found in in a house unharmed while... Several other people have been murdered um, pretty brutally. And one of the people who is dead but not brutally murdered is her friend, Helly. We find out that (laughs) the reason that Alex is okay is because she was partially responsible for these deaths. But what happened first was that her friend, Helly, died, um... I think of an overdose, yes? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, and Alex is able to let Helly's ghost into her. And so kind of together, they kill the rest of the people. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there is a, an assault implied before the death. Yes. Um, which is what the question was about. Um, so a listener wrote us and asked... Can you clarify how Helly died? Was it was it drugs or did he just rape her that brutally? I've gone back in the storyline, but it wasn't clear to me. Um, I think she was raped brutally because it seemed like she was in pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Alex came to her, but the fact that she woke up like with vomit all over her and all of that, all she of that drugs. says yeah. drugs. And then yeah. there was there were drugs in both 
Helly's and Alex's systems because they had gone into each other's bodies. Yeah. <laughs> or Helly had gone into Alex's body, so... Also yeah. a little bit sexy. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm going to point out that I do think there was there was some queer Yeah, 100%. Oh, I mean, as Alex I was saying earlier, I think yeah. the time you allow a ghost to enter your body, there's something a little sexual about that. Yeah. Even when she was alive, though... Like, that day that they spent together before this happened, there was a lot of emphasis from Alex on, like, you know, like, the feel of Helly's hair and the way she smelled. And, like, they were and very, her, like, like... golden legs. Yeah, like, they are very close together and very, like, physically kind of... I guess not physically affectionate, but physically connected. Uh, they were physically connected a lot. Yeah, I yeah. guess they were, but... Um, and also, she says some... At, at one point, she says, like... Like, this, they had killed the girl she loved. Mm-hmm. Like, and not even, like, in a way, like, not even they had killed her best friend, but, like, the girl she It wasn't loved. like, so. they killed the girl I loved, but no homo. Yeah. <laughs> they killed the girl I loved as a friend, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely implied that they were intimate, at least emotionally, if not physically- I kind of loved that that was never 100% clear, though. Yeah. Like, the nature of their relationship wasn't super defined, but also it didn't matter, because they were really close. They loved each other. That's... Well, they... Yeah, they were, like, the only thing keeping each other afloat in this terrible situation. Yeah, Yeah, well, and that was her only link to a future, also, because they had these plans. And even if they weren't realistic, they were just... They were, they were still plans to be doing something else. And the only other time yeah. she got a chance to do something else was when she woke up in the hospital and was offered Yale. Right. And there's a part where she says, like, Len thought, I w- thought that I would be jealous when he brought this girl back, but I was, like, thrilled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, one of the saddest parts in the novel to me is when... Alex hears that Tara, the murder victim, had a jewelry-making business on the side, and she said, oh yeah, girls like this always have a little business on the side, because they have to see a window that they can potentially climb out of, even if they never get there. Yeah. It's, like, pretty clear that, like, Alex's main reason for being invested in this murder is because of Helly, not because mm-hmm. she's, like, this crusader who's gonna, like, do the right thing and solve all the murders, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, it's, but the little part of it that is crusady is really for Darlington more than it is for yeah. her. So it's, a, it's like, mm-hmm. a lot motivated by these two other people that seem to be the only people she really trusts, besides now dolls too i guess (laughs) are we ready to rate this sucker yes Mm -hmm. i will go first i mary gave it a four out of five i really enjoyed it couldn't put it down for the last third or so really wanted to figure out what was going on i liked the mystery of it i liked the secret society stuff i liked the magic it did take me a little while to get into the book I do wonder if this wasn't a time of extreme anxiety and pandemic stuff (laughs) that I would feel differently about it. Like, there's so much going on in my personal life right now. I wonder if all of that wasn't going on, if I would feel like it was a five out of five. But I did like it a lot, so I gave it a four out of five. And I like Lee Bardugo in general, too. Um, 
I think she's a good author, and I'm excited to see her write more books for young adults, but also more books in this series. Yeah. I, uh, this is Kelly. Um, I'm very conflicted about what to give this because, like, part of me wants to give it, like, a four, but I'm also kind of on a three. I'm kind of, like, and I feel like I'm more towards a three because for a lot of it, I just was having trouble getting totally hooked or feeling like I really cared about the plot, even though I cared about the characters. Like, I really liked the characters. I liked Alex a lot. I found Darlington really interesting. I, I think my main problem was that, like, while, and this is going to sound terrible, but while Alex cared about the murder of Tara, I did not. <laughs> like, I didn't care. I was just like, I don't know this person. Like, I feel no investment in, like, the solution of this case. Like, it's just not that interesting to me. I was way more interested in the disappearance of Darlington and that Mm -hmm. element of the mystery. Um, And for me, just a lot of the, like, getting to the point where we figured out that Tara was actually involved in secret societies, like, there's a lot of jumping back and forth in time here, and I feel like it didn't necessarily serve to move the plot forward. It kind of held it back at points and just kind of, like, made the pace a little bit slow and weird. So, well, overall, I, I'm i interested in reading more, like maybe reading the second book when it comes out, and I liked it. I think it's, I think it's pretty well written despite the uh, use of, what is it called, like past perfect or whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mostly because of the time hopping. Yeah. Uh, but... Like, I, I think it's well-written. I think there are some really beautiful passages. Um, and I, like, like I said, I care about the characters. But I also just felt like there was something keeping me from, like, really latching onto it. So. That's fair. Yeah. I'm kind of, like, I'm kind of at a 3.5. But. Yeah. I, I still, I will probably go to a 3. I, this is Emily, I gave it a three for similar reasons to Kelly. Like, I think, too, I had really high expectations because this is kind of my shit. Like, school stories and the occult, like, those are those are two things that I'm very interested in. Um, and I guess, like, I wanted m- more of that. And I, I'm glad that this is a series because I'm hoping, like, we will get, like, more of the Mm -hmm. secret society stuff in the upcoming books because I just felt like I mean obviously it seems dumb to say because like obviously it was like a central part of the storyline but like there was a lot of other stuff going on I was like can we just go back to talking about the secret societies though Um, and I like to bring up something that Kelly talked about briefly I think the, the two timelines kind of uh, made it less suspenseful for me. Um, I, I, I mean, I get kind of why she did it, but I'm also like, why? <laughs> like, it just, yeah. I don't know. Like, I just, I, I wasn't digging the two timelines. I'm like, why are we telling things in this way? It just felt a little weird. Um, 
I don't know. So that that didn't work for me. And I, I would assume that future books won't be structured in that same way. Yeah, I don't think so. Because, like, why would they be? But um, that... That didn't really work for me. I will say this is going to be made into a television show, as we've talked about in previous episodes, and I am like 100% down for watching Oh yeah, I will watch the shit out of that. I'm so excited. Um, I gave it a five. (gasps) (laughs) Hey! I know, big news! Uh, (laughs) Um, while at first I did have a little trouble with the timelines or it was kind of just like, why are we doing that? Uh, eventually I was like, yeah. no, nah, I'm cool with it. So I got past that. Um, and I, I really loved everything else. Like I loved Alex as a character. I liked how much like backstory of hers and of Darlington's we got. I liked that there was a murder mystery. I like school stories. I love school stories. Let me rephrase. If it's at a <laughs> school, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Secret history yeah. prep. Yes, this. secret history. Give it to me. It, me it too. And I love secret. secret. I also history. gave that book a five. So, um, fucking love that. Yeah, book. it's like it ticked a lot of boxes for me and stuff that I like to read about. But I also thought it was well written in general. And mm-hmm. like I said, I really liked the characters, and I'm really excited for both the series and the next book in the the TV series and the next book in the book series. <laughs> Yes. So yeah. Five. I actually Boom. I actually marked that quote where about the magic that I mentioned earlier and I just wanted to read it because it's so nice. So Go for I'm it. gonna read it really quick. If that's okay with you. Let me hold my book in front of my face. Mm-hmm. It it not okay. Uh this is when Darlington is putting the moths on Alex to take her tattoos away. And it says This was why he had done it, not because of guilt or pride, but because this was the moment he'd been waiting for, the chance to show someone else wonder, to watch them realize that they had not been lied to, that the world they'd been promised as children was not something that had to be abandoned, that there really was something lurking in the wood, beneath the stairs, between the stars, that everything was full of mystery. I love that. So good. Yeah. As promised, next up we have an interview with Veronica Roth, who most recently wrote uh, Chosen Ones. I'm having to look at it again to make sure I don't say The Chosen Ones. Not The, Not the Chosen Ones, just Chosen Ones. Um, chosen. And I think that that's a very important distinction that will make sense if you read the book. Um, guys, I really like this book. Um, and it's got a lot of elements that we've um, talked about previously, most notably alternate um, dimensions. But I don't want to talk too much about that because it's kind of a surprise. This is one of those books that's like really hard to talk about because like every time you get to a point where you're like, I think I know what this book is about. It's like, what if, what if this happens? And I'm like, what the, I did not see that coming. So I really, um, it kept me on my toes. I will also say um, I thought the premise was really interesting. So it's obviously very influenced by books like Harry Potter, which is something that we talked about in the interview, which you'll hear in a second. But um, 
the whole premise is this idea that this is a group of young people, or they were young people, who fought some sort of, like, evil force and um, saved the day. Um, They were chosen ones. And now they're in their 30s, and uh, they're having to adult, but, you know, there's, like, trauma because of what they've gone through in their past and they're they're like weird celebrities and they're kind of dealing with that and it's sort of like what happens to these characters from these like fantasy sci-fi novels like after they're not chosen ones anymore and they like grow up and have to like do the rest of their life kind of watchmen um, vibes a little bit mhm maybe i don't want to give it away because <laughs> It's not what you think it's going to be. Or at least it wasn't for me. I mean, I think that sounds good. That's yeah, enough to get So anyway, definitely check it out. Also, nobody can see this, but it's a really pretty book, I thought. Oh, yeah. And it's got really mm-hmm. cool, like, um, maps in it, which I know everyone Ooh. loves. You, you got to have, have a map. map. Like, if you're going to do anything that's not just straight-up realism, you got to have a map. It takes place in Chicago, but obviously it's a Chicago that has been shaped by things that have happened. I mean, Ninth House had a map, and it was just regular old Yale. So anyway, um, really enjoyed this. This is also, well, it's the first book in a duology, so there will be a second one. Um, But yeah. We talk about it all in this. I like a nice duology. I like a nice duology. I don't have to commit too much, but I get a little bit extra if I enjoy it. Um, But this book also really does work as a standalone as well. So don't feel like you have Mm -hmm. to, you're going to be like forced to read another one if you read this. So all in all, yeah, a plus book. Here's the interview. Uh, this is Emily from Book Squad Goals. I'm talking to Veronica Roth, author of Chosen Ones. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so I promised my friend that my friend Todd, who listens to this podcast and has been a guest on this podcast, is a very big fan of your books. Um, and he wanted me to let you know before we get started that uh, your Divergence series made him cry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in a very, in a, in a good way, but. Um, oh, in a good I, way. It's like <laughs> yeah. him and a lot of people who then like set it on fire and threw it in yeah. the trash, but <laughs> thanks, Todd. <laughs> um, but I, I promised him I would, you know, tell you that at the top. So uh, starting off well, on that note. <laughs> that's so nice. Thank you. Um, so I feel like this is going to come out in a couple, we're recording this early in April, but it's going to come out a couple of weeks later. So who knows what the world will be like? I mean, really, it, every day, it feels different. <laughs> every day is a surprise. But just where we are now, I feel like I should start by asking you how you're holding up under these circumstances. You had a whole book tour planned, which, you know, it had to be changed and put online. Um, and what's it like having a book come out right now during these strange, uncertain times? Well, Um, it's not the best time to be having anything come out that you're excited about, I think, because it just feels so, um, I mean, people need things to get excited about and to get their minds off things right now. So it's a good time for a book to come out in that sense. But 
Um, it also feels strange to be like, hey, read my book, like while really troubling things are going on. Um, so that in that sense, it's a bit odd. But um, as far as like the canceled tour and stuff, I mean, I feel like I'm in a pretty privileged position in publishing. So if anyone can have a book come out now and have it go okay, um, it's probably me. So I feel pretty lucky to be where I am and um, just really focused on independent bookstores and um, and especially like mid-list authors who, you know, would would have trouble kind of punching through the internet noise. Um, those are kind of the people I think are most negatively affected by all of this. Right. Um, and I was, that's kind of leads into what I was going to ask you next. I do, I do feel like it can kind of go both ways with um, anything entertainment based right now. It's almost in a way it seems frivolous, but in another way, it's like, so important right now. Like everyone's, everyone's at home. Everyone's looking for stuff to watch and things to read. So it seems like a weird time to be excited about a book, but it's also a really great time to get really excited about a book, especially something like this. That's sort of, um, it's, it's set in Chicago, but it's still like a fantasy Chicago. Um, so it's a little bit of escapism, even though there are, there's a darker side to this. Well, sure. Um, hopefully it's at least mildly funny to people. So yes, <laughs> that's, my, that's my goal anyway. So yeah, I'm comfortable describing it as a escapist just because yes. escapist doesn't mean it doesn't talk about anything important, but, um, but yeah, we, fantasy is like where I want to live right now. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, you know, you're talking about how, it's really important to support independent bookstores and uh, smaller authors. I don't want to say smaller authors, but authors who maybe aren't getting as much attention from um, publishing companies and presses right now. Um, Do you have any suggestions for how people can support these authors right now or any authors you want to shout out in particular? Oh man, I had like a list of all the, I looked up like all the authors with books coming out in this time. Um, And I, of course, don't have it on hand. But I know that uh, Look by Zan Romanoff, which is YA contemporary, um, and then Tigers Not Daughters, which is sort of like a... by Samantha Mabry, which is kind of like a surreal uh, ghost story, question mark? I don't know how she would describe it, but um, kind of... She has, like, this really lush and great writing. Um, Anyway, uh, those two books have come out recently, and... They are both definitely worth a read. And as far as other authors, I mean, I think just, um, I don't know, trying to pay attention to people who are are talking about books right now is, is important because they'll, like, keep you informed about what's coming out. And then, um, you know, every author loves a, a shout out on social media, just even if you can't afford to buy their books, like, just spreading the word about them is really important. And then um, I think most like a lot of independent bookstores across the country are doing delivery right now. So even if you don't live near one, you can still order from one. Um, And that's a really great way to support your independent bookstores. Yes. Um, And I know some independent bookstores are doing like special subscription services right now. And yeah, let's go ahead and get into the book then. Um, I'm going to start. 
I feel like this is kind of a basic question. You probably get asked this all the time, but we have to start somewhere. Um, so Chosen Ones is about what happens to the heroes of fantasy novels about 15 years after they save the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like you can kind of explain it in vague terms like that because this Chosen One narrative is a fairly well-known and often used narrative. Like when we hear the Chosen One, we probably all have a character or book that we think about. Your take on it, though, is different. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> Uh, because we don't often think about like, well, what are they doing later, especially like that much later. Um, so I have a couple of questions about that. First of all, what chosen ones narratives did you draw from for this particular book? Well, I sort of sat down and made a list of like every chosen one story I had been exposed to as a child. Um, just because I think the stuff that we encounter early in life tends to form our expectations for what stories are later. So for me, it was Harry Potter for sure, because I was 11 when Harry Potter came out. So um, I grew up with him. And uh, but then, you know, my dad uh, made us listen to all of the Lord of the Rings on book on tape on a car trip when I was a kid. Um, There were also I mean, assorted Narnia books have chosen one figures. Also, the Animorphs. If anyone ever read the Animorphs, um, love those books. <laughs> I think I think we have some listeners who are into the Animorphs. Yes. So, um, shout out to I y'all. Love them. And then on you know TV and movies, there was like Buffy and The Matrix and Star Wars and Terminator and yeah. So it's everywhere. Um, oh, but the one of the big ones that I didn't mention is Dune by Frank Herbert, which was one of my ba- first like. It was my first grown-up, like, four grown-up sci-fi novel that I read. And it is, like, the chosen one story to top all chosen one stories. I mean, I think it's one of the earlier ones that we have in science fiction. So, um, anyway, that one needs a shout-out. Yeah, I feel like that's one that I need to read. It's pretty important. Somehow I've missed it so yeah. far. It's it, it's really interesting. Like, I, I recommend reading it to people, but I'm also like, you'll notice that the gender politics and some of the race stuff. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> is, is of its time. Yeah. In a, in a not great way. That's an issue with a lot of sci-fi. Um, I feel like a lot of older sci-fi particularly uh, books in general, yeah. but sci-fi especially, I think has had issues with sexism and racism in the past, but um, that's a, that's oh, yeah. a whole other tangent we could get on. Um, I know we could talk about that forever. Yeah. But getting back to the book, so you you had these narratives to draw from. What gave you the idea to write this story um, and take it in this new direction? Well, I think it's probably a little bit related to um, ending a big series that had a chosen one figure, which is Divergent, you know? Right. And people ask me, like, well, what would have happened if the series had not ended the way that it did? Like, what would have happened to her? Um, Yeah. And I can't answer that because for me, like the ending of this series is the only end. Otherwise I wouldn't have ended it that way. Like, uh, yeah, that's, (laughs) that's all I can say probably without spoiling everything. Um, but it did get me thinking because I kind of think that we underestimate the trauma that these characters go through while they're saving the world. You know, um, it's not that chosen one stories of my youth, 
uh, didn't tell like what happens next. Like, you know, Ender's Game continues for multiple books and Harry Potter, we've gotten continuations and stuff. But the focus of those stories just by necessity is not on the psychological impact of what those characters have gone through, because that's just a different kind of book than those books are. Um, but I did want to write that book. So that's kind of what Chosen Ones is. Right. Um, and going off of that, the psychology of these characters is really central to the story. And I think like that makes it really interesting that that's what the focus is, um, especially Sloan who is suffering from PTSD and of the five arguably suffered the most trauma at the hands of the dark one. Um, And these after effects of trauma, not what we usually focus on. Um, Like, like honestly, what I've, it made me think of Jenny from the Harry Potter series. Like what was going on with her psychologically after being possessed by Voldemort. Right. Like, um, but getting back to this PTSD thing, did you do any research on PTSD or psychology to get into the psychology of these characters? Yeah, so I um, I think I've done PTSD research for every book that I've written up to this point, just because I have characters going through these extreme situations and my intention is to take their emotional life seriously, even if, you know, they're in dystopian Chicago or in a galaxy far, far away. Like, it doesn't really matter. Um, right. You have to think about what the impact would be. So uh, I did, I always try to kind of refresh my mind about uh, about PTSD because I don't have it. So I, you know, need to make sure that I am diligent about that. But um, But I do have a kind of like existing base of knowledge, um, thanks to, in no small part, to writing Insurgent. So um, anyway, yes, I did research it. And now I'm losing track of <laughs> what I was going to say. Sorry. I swear I'm with it. I'm here. Look, it's a, it's a hard time for everybody right now. You're like, what did I do yesterday? I can't remember what day it is. So <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It's it's when you're dealing with the psychology of characters, even when they're fantasy, you have to keep it real because these are real emotions and things that people can identify with. Even if they did, if you're not experiencing it because of a supernatural force or a magical force or something like that, like the, the feelings can still be the same or relatable. And that's kind of part of the reasons we read things in the first place. Right. So yeah, I, th- I think it creates an, a healthy level of distance. So, you know, you can encounter these emotions, but you also have the separation of knowing this isn't this is very clearly not the real world. Right. That's what makes reading so great, especially right now. Um, <laughs> so I know that um, you mentioned Chicago, we've talked about it a little bit. Let's get into it. Uh, because I know that Chicago is a really important city to you. That's pretty obvious from reading <laughs> your books. Um, it's central to the narrative of this novel for sure. This book is dedicated to Chicago. There are maps of Chicago in it. Uh, mm-hmm. It kind of sort of like there are maps to other fantasy cities at the beginning of other fantasy novels, but this is sort of this fantasy Chicago or rather an alternate version of Chicago. Can you talk a little bit about what makes the city of this book different from the Chicago you live in currently, aside from people not being quarantined, I guess, but yeah. (laughs) So, um, 
The Chicago in Chosen Ones is basically like ours, except that it has endured a huge destructive event known as um, a drain, which is like a series of these happened around the time that the Dark One, who is our like Dark Lord figure in the book, emerged. And um, anyway, so uh, it's kind of like it has destroyed parts. <laughs> um, the Dark One, when he was taken down, was taken down in Chicago. He was... He had, like, his lair in Trump Tower, which is now, like, blown off the map. And that is not subtle at all. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, and there is magic in the world of Chosen Ones. So in that way, it is also quite different. But the world has really been altered by um, the Dark One and his presence. And then also the fact that the Chosen Ones have, most of them have taken, the five of them have taken residence in the city. So um, that's kind of what informs the Chicago of Chosen Ones. And why Chicago? I, I know you get asked this all the time, aside from the fact that you live there. To me, like, and the reason that I find it so important to ask this is, uh, I, as a writer, I feel like having a sense of place is really important. Yeah. Or should be really important to a story. And there's such a strong sense of place here, obviously. Um, what is it about Chicago? Well, I think one of the answers really is that I have trouble with imagining spaces that I do not currently occupy. I have trouble even with Chicago, which sounds odd, but um, I guess I know as a writer, my own limitations and um, having a distinct feeling of where I am instead of just like living in a character's head is a challenge for me when I'm writing rough draft. So it helps me to set a book or a story in a place that I've actually been. Um, and if you're going to live in a world for over a year, which is what happens when you write a book, it has to be somewhere that you're interested in. And I am interested in Chicago and I love it here. So also I think it's been um, like, I've noticed that when I travel now and I tell people where I'm from, they make a crack about uh, the violence that exists in this city, or they tell me that they're afraid to go here. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, obviously, like, we have a problem with gun violence in this city, and among other problems. Um, and that has kind of made headlines. And I think that was part of the motivation for setting it here, because I just love it here so much and love living here and want people to know that this is a place where people live that is wonderful and has many fine qualities, even though it also has some problems, just like any other city. Um, Anyway, so I felt like defensive of it, I think. And that made me even more motivated to set a book here. Right. I get it. Um, I lived in Atlanta for a really long time. And I feel like people sort of have similar ideas about Atlanta. Yeah. And I'm like, no, Atlanta's really cool. Everyone should come Atlanta here. Atlanta is cool. <laughs> Thank I love you. Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I love Chicago, too. Second. Yeah, they um, they shot the second and third Divergent movies in Atlanta, so I got to explore it a lot, and I really, really like it there. So yes. people should go to Atlanta and Chicago. They should, yes. Um, yeah, I've gotten to go to Chicago a couple of times, and I, I always really loved it. And even one of the times was in the dead of winter, and I still – I went to AWP. Nice. I don't know if you've ever gone to that, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was the dead of winter, and it was still great, so – not too windy. I know that that's a big... Thank you. Um, it is very windy here, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to talk about 
where Chosen Ones is going because it is the first book in a series, right? Well, it is the first book in a duology. In a duology, so, okay. a long series. But yeah, I think of them as kind of like a little pair. Um, they're sort of separate, but together. Well, it's, it's still kind of, this question fits for a series and a duology. So you can talk about it in terms of Divergent and Chosen Ones if you want. Sure. Um, or if the process is entirely different, then, you know, whatever. <laughs> but basically... When you're writing a series or, you know, an arc of more than one book, what is that planning process like? And do you already know how the whole series is going to pan out? Or are there any surprises? along? I'm sure there are surprises along the way, but how much of that is planned ahead of time? Well, an interesting question, because it has definitely changed over time for me. So this will be the third series that I have written. Um, with Divergent, I did plan, I planned the thing that people want to know if I planned, um, which I won't spoil, but like, yes, like I did know the general shape of the series and how I wanted it to end. But I also didn't, didn't plan enough, I think, in certain respects. So I can say that now because I've had 10 years of distance to look at those books. But um, just some of the structure, like in the third Divergent book, um, you know, they leave the city and you find out what's outside of it. And the thing is that you get like 30 pages of info dump, um, as we call it in the biz, yeah. uh, where you just like learn all the secrets that have been kept from you the whole series. And that's not like a great structure, you know, like it's fine, but it, I would, if I could go back, I would like spread it out a little, um, so that's just like an example of not not planning so much ahead. With Carve the Mark, um, those books very much have to go together. Right. So there are certain revelations in the second book, Fates Divide, that need to be set up very early in Carve the Mark. So um, with those, I planned very carefully. And with this, it was yet still different because I didn't know if I wanted it to be a series when I wrote it. Um, and when... I finished it. I was in like a deep in a third round of edits with my editor. And he was like, is there a second book? And I said, well, there could be. And he was like, how? <laughs> so um, because it doesn't really end. It ends very closed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not there's no cliffhanger. Like it's very much a complete story that he wasn't sure I could continue. And I had to send him my outline to be like, here, it could go in this direction. And he... Um, luckily, really liked the ideas that I had for it. But it feels like, I don't know, not so much a part one and a part two, but like, companion novels with the same characters, but and also continuous, <laughs> which is a yeah. silly way to put it. But no, I, I love that. Because I'm very, um, when it comes to series, it, I'm very like defiant, like, I, I'm happy to read the first one, but I don't want to have to commit to reading yeah. all of them. Like I want to have the option to read them, but I don't want to feel like I have to read them to have a complete story. So I do really appreciate that. I think a lot of readers do. That's not to say I won't read the second one, but um, sure. It's also it's just it's nice when it feels like a complete story. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing there's like that special experience, right, where you're like, "Wow, where is this book going?" and then you flip you see how much you have left and you're like, okay, there's no way that any of this is getting resolved in the next 50 pages. So darn, like this has been a prelude, basically, <laughs> which is not the best feeling. 
It's hard, though. Yeah. So I understand why it's a challenge for a lot of authors. And it was certainly was a challenge for me. So, so absolutely no way this is going to be more than two books. I'm thinking no. Okay. I never want to say anything, like, really definitive about that kind of thing. Because then I'm just like, you know, who knows what who knows what the future holds right now. <laughs> but, um, but no, that's not the plan. The plan is two. Okay. We'll see. But yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mean to be like cagey about it. No, I no, don't. no. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to, you don't, I understand. It's fine. Not leaving the door open, but right now planning for one more. Yeah. So I like to end every interview with this question. <laughs> um, do you have any pets? I do. Yeah. <gasps> Yay. Okay. So this podcast is all about books and pets. We love our pets. We love posting pictures of our pets okay. and reading books. We, we believe that animals are really good reading companions. So um, when authors have interviews, I really like to end with hearing a little bit about their pets. Yes, I have a dog. Her name is Avi. She is a Havanese. So she's very small. Mm. She's like 12 pounds. And she's very fluffy. And when mm. I sit and read, she immediately jumps on the couch and lays up against me. So she's the perfect reading companion. Amazing. Yes. I'm obsessed with her. So if you have ever seen my Instagram, maybe not on the actual feed, but in the stories, there's, I mean, a lot of her. <laughs> All right. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, that's great. We love our pets. We're obsessed with our pets, too. Mm. So... Love, love hearing about you know, other people obsessed with their pets. Especially right now, right? Like, it's just... Yes. They don't know what's going on, and they love us unconditionally. It's very nice. We we happened to get a kitten right before... Like, we got our we got a kitten in February. Oh. Um, mid, mid-February, so... Perfect timing. I just keep... I, I keep thinking, like, I'm so thankful we got this kitten... Right before, because it's just so nice to have this. We have another cat. We have two cats now. But it's just so nice to have this, like, fresh new joy in the house. And he's adding a lot of energy to something that could otherwise be kind of, like, depressing, I feel. One of the most important things, I think, is that they change. Like, they do things regularly. So if you're in your house all the time and you feel like you're in a routine, like, the dog's always up to something. So... Um, it's just very important to have right now some alteration in your surroundings well I really really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me I know that even with being inside a lot right now you're probably very busy with this book about to come out so uh, I'm glad we had a chance to talk thanks for having me this was great listener feedback. <gasps> I love it when we have We asked. Feedback. You listened. You feedback. Um, I shall read this first piece okay. uh, that yes. was sent to me from Darcy, our our listener in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of her. Hey, Darcy. Uh, <laughs> hey, Darcy. Yeah. Um, so she went back and read a couple of the books that we covered previously. I love it when people do um, that. And sent in some. By the way. Me, me too. too. 
So she sent in some feedback about these. She said, I finished Fates and Furies. I liked how the author split the couple's marriage into two stories. There are two sides to every marriage. I don't think I got the ending. I had to read it three times. I would say, wait, what? Throughout this novel. I gave it two stars on Goodreads. And then she said she hasn't listened to the podcast yet. Well, I think that's about dark. what we gave it also. <laughs> I think, I yeah. think we're yeah. in line with you, so. We were not big fans. I can't I even remember the ending, more. guys. He I like, can't either. One of my one of my friends recently texted me and was like, "Hey, I'm reading Fates and Furies. I know you read it for the podcast. Did you like it?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> no, uh-huh. I did not like it at all. I thought it was pretentious." Then she also read The Gunners. Um, she said, "I stayed up until 3 a.m. reading The Gunners. I loved it. I know you all focused on the secrets." I, however, read it for the relationship component. Childhood friends that stayed together, but it took a death in their circle to start some deep communication instead of surface conversations through email. Yes, some of the secrets, like Mikey's father, I wondered about. I do love stories about relationships. I grew up in a small town and moved when I was nine because my parents divorced. I saw from a distance that those friends I left behind had this type of relationship. I was jealous. I longed for it. So with that being said, I gave it a five. LOL. (laughs) For the first time, I wished I could dial in to say, don't look at the secrets. Look at the relationships. Despite all the revelations, they still loved each other. Well, you did Maybe dial in. Maybe you tell that to the author, anyway. though, because the author looked at the secrets. That's so true. That's Maybe true. If she didn't want us to look I believe, at Darcy, yeah, I think I was the one that liked the Gunners the most out of all of us. <laughs> Which isn't surprising, because I chose I, I like, I remember yeah. enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I like Fates think... and Furies most out of all of us, and I chose that one, so there you go. <laughs> I think I'm getting less critical in my old age. <laughs> <laughs> you just like everything now. Um, I, li- I did I guess... like the Gunners. I, I guess I'll read this next one because speaking of books that we picked, I picked this book. Yeah. Um, and this is from Olivia in Boston. What's up? I love Boston. Um, so Olivia says, hi, hope y'all are well. I enjoyed Cersei. I enjoy most books I read, so it's not out of the ordinary. <laughs> High praise. Lucky right you. <laughs> Um, tell us what that's like, because we don't know. Anyway, (laughs) sorry. Um, however, I don't think that I would recommend this book to many people. I read it as part of a book club, and the only person who loved the book was really into mythology in middle school. I appreciated the reimagining of the myth, but the protagonist's loneliness was palpable. Mm. The writing style and flow tried to evoke Cersei's same feelings, and I needed more happiness for my books at the time. Fair. Um, consensus, glad I read it, would not read it again, would not recommend would recommend with reservations and only to friends with an intent interest. I cannot reach out only to friends with an interest, interest <laughs> in mythology. <laughs> y'all that white claw is hitting. No, <laughs> and like y'all I'm torn on the question on feminist text or not. Um, so, I mean, I picked this one and I loved it. So yeah, I think I, we all loved yeah. it. I kind of disagree because this is one of those books that I would like recommend to everybody. Yeah. I think, but I think Olivia has importantly acknowledged a different type of obsessive girl. Yeah, like, there's yeah. a horse girl. <laughs> there's like yeah. dinosaur girls, and there and was mythology, mythology girls. girls. I that's the thing yes, is like I want to be like I disagree, but then I'm like, but wait, I was obsessed with mythology in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> And then you're like, wait, I'm in I her mean, book no, club. I, I don't. <laughs> wait, it's me. <laughs> I don't disagree with her because, like, it obviously, like, she says that she can see why some people like it. And yeah. I think for her 
And she says at the time, like, she needed happiness from her both. I don't think I ever need happiness from her. Yes. So, like, that's, that's sort of always, like, a thumbs down for me if the people in the books are too happy. So I know that's, like, a particular quirk of mine. Yeah, I love a, so. I love a miserable book, honestly. Except I like a happy too. book. I, really do I would say like my oh, no. my level of misery, like the worst was Mars Room. Like that's too far for me. Oh yeah. Um that was, that was a, but that anything was a up to pick. that point. <laughs> <laughs> that was like one of the like that was the bleakest book that we've read. Whereas something like um Girls Burn Brighter was incredibly, like, awful things happened to them. However, there mm-hmm. was a hopefulness or a glimmer of something. In the bathroom. A little, a little bathroom, gas station bathroom hope at the end. Yeah. So, like, that book is in, in ways more depressing than Mars Room, but also somehow wasn't. I, I don't know. Well, in Mars Room, she didn't have, like, any, like, friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're getting off on a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> I will read this. Point is, we respect your opinion, Olivia. Yes. That wasn't our experience, but maybe we're mythology girls. Yeah. I was definitely a mythology girl. Or yeah. maybe we read it at the right time. Because we all know yeah, that that's true. timing does right matter. Time. Yeah. It really does. If that I was like, reading it right now, so while not being able to see anyone, I would be like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I honestly feel like no matter what situation I was in, I would have loved that book because that book is, like, so my shit, like, yeah. in every way. Yeah. But I get it. We appreciate your opinion, Olivia. Kelly, did you read her other book? We do. No, I want to. So good. I gotta. I gotta get in. Get I think Olivia that. read that one, too. I might be making that up. Maybe no, that I, might have I read it right after done. Cersei, and I really, really loved it. I will read it. We got one more. Last one. Okay. Because it's from Todd. Who? You know, Todd. Him? My betrothed. Betrothed of the Todd. Betrothed of the pod. Yes. The one who cried at yes. uh, Diversion. The the same. Uh, Todd said, "I have thoughts on Giddy in the Ninth. Mm. Number one, I love the book, but it took me a while to get into the aesthetic." Mm -hmm. Uh, this is not Todd's aesthetic at all. (laughs) Number two. Normally, I don't love stylistic gimmicks, like the teen smaller font, but I thought it really worked here. (laughs) And three. The magic system was very interesting, but I'm still not sure I understand how it works. (laughs) And I hope being in Hero's head for the next book sheds more light on that. Agree. I love the teens. Agree on all counts. And their small font. I love their small font. I'm not normally that into also. stylistic. I didn't see a small font because I listened, <laughs> you listened to, to it. it. I, well, you now that it, I like, finally have, have my voice. copy of the book, let me see if I can find it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I wish on the audiobook the they would have been like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they gave them voices, but I don't know that I listened to those voices and thought, this sounds like a small font. You know what? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that book taking a while to like get into the aesthetic, because it was... I guess because it was so far kind of outside of what I normally read and also mm-hmm. just a lot was happening. That was the same length as Ninth House and I read Ninth yeah. House so much faster. 
Like, yeah. Gideon took me a while. <laughs> five, five ever. I mean, it Gideon was worth it, but it really did. I read so, I mean, I had to keep rereading stuff, and that's probably why, but, like, once I got going, it, I, was, it was still slow, just because there's there's so much packed into, like, every single page. Yes. I feel like when you're reading outside of the stuff you normally would be into, you almost have to, like, train yourself to read it, and it takes time. Yeah, I wasn't ready. Took me yeah. forever. And sometimes you're uh, dealing with anxiety because of a pandemic and sometimes. you just don't have patience. Yeah. You know? Yep. Felt. Fair. What is on the blog? Well, <laughs> there are recaps. Survivor's finale is over! As of the recording of this episode, Survivor's finale was last night. It was really exciting. Todd and I are going to write about it. And that is on the blog now. The finale, if you're listening to this the day this comes out, the finale of Listen to Your Heart is tonight. Yeah! So we're wrapping it all up. Yes. What will happen? Who will win? I don't know. What do they win? Thanks to you guys' recaps, I was able to listen to the episode of Here to Make Friends where they talked to Julia, and I knew everything they were talking about without having watched even a second of this horrible show. That's why we're here. Doing doing the Lord's work. (laughs) Look, you know what? We're enjoying it. I'm just going to say it. I something so I saw on Instagram somebody I grew up with he posted a story about listening to your heart and how silly it is and he said why can no one kiss each other without saying come here <laughs> yikes <laughs> and it just occurred to me they do that mm-hmm. they're forever saying come here oh my gosh you're gonna start picking yeah. that up in your daily lives and not know it never <laughs> just how I say I love that all the time now I love, I love that. that. I, I like that. this. Can I steal you for a Can second? Can I steal you for a second? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I wrote something about um, how rewatching the Tudors has been a healthy quarantine activity I've picked up. <laughs> mm, <laughs> this is not my first rewatch. Tears. I've probably seen it three times. This is just a special rewatch because so it's quarantine rewatch and I'm seeing things through. Different eyes. I've never watched it. So good. I love it. It is I so good. Natalie Dormer. Natalie Dormer is the best Anne Boleyn of mm. all time. Yes. I believe that. She's yes. Great. And that's saying a lot because Natalie Portman has also played her. So. Yes. So I just, I wrote a blog post about the 2014 animated series Over Woo! the Garden Wall. It is really good. And everyone should watch it. So I wrote a blog post about that and positivity and death Mm. and the legend of the Earl King. I loved it. I loved this post. Yes. It's so good. Emily, for sure you should watch it because I think you would really like it. Because you like animated stuff. So. Okay. I have a post. Tell us about it. On the blog. Yeah. It's about all the bad movies that I've watched since we have been in self-isolation. A lot of them have to do with crazy, quote-unquote, women (laughs) who become obsessed and stalk people. Um, It's a a pastime of mine, a favorite pastime to watch 
deeply bad movies with friends. Like, I'll go over on weekends to my friend's place and we'll just sit there for hours and watch bad movie after bad movie. Uh, and since we can't do that in person now, we have we have perfected our system, which is that we watch things on our laptops and we have house party app open where we're on video chat and then we we have netflix party so that we're all so this kind of confines us to only watching things on netflix but uh then we we watch stuff um and we kind of like put the volume down on the netflix thing and put the volume up on each other and just put subtitles on for the netflix thing because like it's it's bad so you don't really Mm. need to hear it you know what i mean um you can hear it a little but mostly we can hear each other yelling out all of the sick burns that we have for the plot of these movies. So it's fun. I recommend the system, and I included a lot of quotes from my friends about these movies um, and how bad they are. So check out that post, and then check out those movies if you hate yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I love that there were sick burns included in there for us to read. Um, So Janet and I, you remember Janet, she's been on the podcast before we've had her as a guest on the blog before well she's back and we're discussing the miniseries little fires everywhere um we had so much to say about this miniseries that we had to break it up into two parts (laughs) um so part one is up right now i don't think part two will be up yet but it will be up soon but it's it's already written so just get ready. And you can you can listen to our episode about the book, which famously I hated. And I still support. <laughs> Brunch. Anyway, really enjoyed the show. And, uh, yeah. Just uh, check that out if you want to hear what I have to say about it. Okay. So... I hope you like serial killers because do I ever? If you do, our next other episode is exactly <laughs> for you. If you don't, I don't know. You might not like it that much. <laughs> Maybe skip that. This one. could be when you become a fan. <laughs> so we are watching an HBO series, Atlanta's Missing and Murdered: The Lost Children. This is a five-part docu series about the Atlanta child murderer or Atlanta child killer. What's he called? Either way. Serial killer. Um, so we're going to watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it's really good. I've seen good things out there about it. Also. Nice. Uh, also, I interviewed Mary Kay McBrayer, whose first book just came out recently. It is called America's First Female Serial Killer, Jane Toppin and the Making of a Monster. Mm. I'm holding it up, but you can't see it, but it looks cool. Um Yeah, I talked to her about her writing process for this and all about the story of Jane Toppin. It's really interesting. So we've got two different flavors of serial killer, and we're excited about it. Yay! Woo! And then on our next book episode (laughs) uh, coming June 15th, we are reading Mostly Dead Things by Kristen Arnett. Uh, this is my pick, which is why I'm speaking right now. <laughs> I have not started it, um, but I'm excited. I'm very excited to read it. It is... As this tradition, we like to talk about books before we started reading them, so we can say nothing Yeah, about as this tradition, I have not started it, and I don't know much about it, other than it does have um, 
a queer character at its center and a little bit of a queer romance and also um, a funeral home, I think, or something with taxidermy, some Florida stuff. Some real all, Florida stuff. All really in my wheelhouse. Uh, so All I know is the cover's cool. It covers cool. It has a flamingo on it. Stoked to read this. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hope you will read along with us. And yeah. in a weird departure for us, sure it doesn't did. have the word ninth in the title. <laughs> Shocking. And it is fully not magical, <laughs> as far as I know. I, just, so, I don't know how I'm going to do it. What? Change of pace set in Florida for real. Well, Florida real. Uh, is magic. Is there a map? Isn't Florida. real Florida sort of like another play, another world? <laughs> I mean, it's as close as one can get. Um, oh, man. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at Book Squad Goals. You can visit our website and our blog at BookSquadGoals.com. You can email us at the squad at BookSquadGoals.com. If you have comments or questions about this episode or literally any other episode that has ever aired, and you know what? We have over 80 episodes at this point, so that's pretty crazy. Weird to what? think about that. It's oh pretty my crazy. Gosh, think about all that That's time. That's a lot we've of wasted. hours. No, I'm just <laughs> think of all of your time that we've wasted. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you've been listening this whole time, congratulations. You deserve an award. Uh, and you should definitely leave us a rating and review if you haven't already. Um, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts because that is what really matters. But also subscribe to us on whatever your podcast app of choice is. Um, We appreciate you for listening. We hope that you are staying safe and indoors. And we are sorry if you are in a place where things are reopening before they should. We are also very grateful to essential workers Mm -hmm. and people who are being forced to perform their jobs. Uh, We wish health to all of you and your families and we love you and we're gonna keep doing this so uh join us in isolation (laughs) yeah (laughs) great job great job